Every now and then I find a picture that I'm just super pumped that I found it. I, I have no idea what's going on here. I, I don't know what this picture means. I, I, but I was, I was looking up. I don't even remember what I was, what I was searching for when I found this, but it had, it had to do with the, the sermon that I, I'm, I intend today. And the reason I'm sharing this picture is because I think if you could get in some, some people's brains, this is what it would look like. Like there's flybys and there's people falling off of stuff and somebody's on fire and somebody's falling through the air and, and really you just, you look into the brain and you think, I don't have any clue what's going on in here. I just, I think, I think if you could get in my brain sometimes it would be like, what, what is going on in there? I don't, I don't understand what I'm seeing. And that's how I felt about this picture. And I, the sermon today is titled, Oops, I Didn't Study. And what I want to talk about basically is that you have a whole lot of authority over what goes on in your brain. And if your brain looks like this picture, you can, you can shape that. You can change it. I found another picture that <laughs> I love this picture. I don't know what it is about it. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't. What, what is that? I have no idea. But if you could get in my brain, sometimes there's things that are blown way out of proportion. And sometimes it has to do with the kids. And sometimes the kids are just insane. And there's streetcars on fire, and there's people shooting at each other, and there's smoke, and the whole thing is covered in fog, and you feel like the buildings are about to collapse. And I know that my brain gets like that sometimes. And I don't, I don't think that's how, how we're supposed to be. I, I, think, I think the gospel of Jesus is a Jesus that invades the brain and kind of shapes the brain and shapes the way we think. And you find passages in Scripture like this that say, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so somehow this idea of knowledge, this idea of study, this idea of taking something in and applying it to your brain relates to peace in this passage. It says that somehow you can take stuff in and shape the landscape of your brain that may be chaotic most of the time. Maybe, maybe a lot of times this picture describes your brain Perfectly. There's stuff out of proportion. There's stuff on fire. There's people shooting at each other. Everything seems chaotic. But the gospel of Jesus seems to indicate that through appropriate study and through appropriate knowledge, by thinking the right thoughts, you can shape the landscape of your mind. We're born with instincts. I can, I can tell you I've got a seven-month, eight-month-old child right now. We've got a child right here. The child occupy, it, it acts on instinct. Hungry, uncomfortable, it acts, it screams, it yells, it says, I want fed. Probably not processing, the neurotransmitters in, in, in this baby's brain are probably not processing the same way moms are, although they probably seem similar every now and then would be my guess. But the, a, a baby acts on instinct. But as we grow, we learn to apply thoughts and ideas and emotions and the will to our instincts to shape our actions. Philosophers forever have talked about the mind, will, and emotions, that those are three things that kind of control our actions, that actions are a separate thing. But, so basically, the, the mind, the will, and the emotions, knowledge, study, are precursors to action. And most people would argue that love requires action, that, that without action, there is no such thing as love. And so we want to learn how to shape the way we think. That's what we're talking about here today is shaping the way we think. Because if you shape the way you think, it will shape the way you act. And it'll, it'll shape in both directions. If you think a certain way, you will act a certain way. If you think positively, if you think about grace and hope and love and peace, it will move you towards actions that embody grace, hope, love, and peace. 
If you think about selfishness and violence and mean stuff and gossip, you're going to start acting like a selfish, violent, mean, gossipy person. And Scripture indicates that the way you think greatly affects the way you act. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. See that? Your mind affects how you think and what you filled your brain with affects what you do. You prepare your minds for action. You set your hope fully on the grace that will be wrought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is revealed knowledge. So we're still, we're still talking about knowledge here. And knowledge affects the way you act. And if you think about grace, and if you think about Jesus, and you think about peace, it will set you, set you prepare, it will make you prepared for good action. But it also says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, feelings, thoughts. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So hardly anybody just undergoes a terrible fall without the precursor of thought long before the fall. There's exceptions, but in general, if there's stuff that has ruined your life, chances are your thought life played a huge, long part of that process before the actions were ever taken. And Scripture indicates that good stuff comes from good thoughts, bad stuff comes from bad thoughts, and so we need to be a people who think about what we're thinking about. I was driving um, in central Illinois one time, and I was with a buddy, and there was a pickup truck in front of us, and the pickup truck started smoking. It was about, I don't know, 100 yards in front of us, and smoke started coming out of the bed of the truck, and then it really started smoking, and then it burst into flames. Whatever was in the bed of the truck burst into flames, and the truck started swerving like this because obviously they noticed it, and they swerved into a farmhouse and started honking the horn and got out. It was a guy and a girl, and she was probably in her early 20s, and he was probably in his late 20s, and... The farmer came out and started fetching hose. So we pulled in behind him and started running for the hose to unravel this hose to try to put the fire out. And the girl was hysterical. I mean, just losing, freaking out, sobbing, crying. And this is what she was crying. My Abercrombie and Fitch jeans. My Abercrombie jeans. She's freaking out because her jeans are in the back of the truck next to the mattress that caught fire. Her boyfriend is in the bed of the truck trying to pull the mattress out to keep the truck from exploding, burns his hand terribly, and she's freaking out about her jeans. Now, what was in her brain? Like, what led to that moment for her? <laughs> yeah, nothing, right. Something, something in her brain has, has attached those the, the not, and she kept saying, I paid $45 for those jeans. Her boyfriend's truck is on fire, and she's freaking out about the $45 jeans. Now, can't, can't we say that some idea in her head was twisting her actions at that moment? And that she, probably she thinks of these jeans as part of her identity, right? She, think, she thinks the perfect pair of jeans some, somehow gives her value. And somehow the idea... The thought in her head that the genes gave her value in a moment of crisis made something, it was something ugly. I mean, really, really bad. Not caring about her boyfriend that burned his hands, caring about the loss of identity from a pair of genes. Bad thoughts turn into bad actions. I remember when I was about eight, seven or eight years old, we used to have a miniature golf course that my dad built, and we were out sweeping the greens. We swept the greens for hours and hours, sweeping leaves and nuts and rocks off the greens. And I remember somehow we got on the conversation of lying, and I remember my dad telling me 
the, the mark, he, he, this was kind of his, his words. He said, the mark of a man is his integrity and honesty. He, he, told, he, he said, keeping your word is the mark of a real man. He said, if you, if you, if you want to be who you're supposed to be, your word is your bond. When you say something, you mean it. When you say you'll do something, you'll do it. When you say you'll be somewhere, you show up there. And I, I, I don't know how exactly that affected my life, but I, I would like to think that my whole life, that has been a virtue to me, is I, I'll tell you the truth. I, I, it, it might be hard truth sometimes. It might, it might, I might skirt the truth instead of telling you a lie, but honestly, I, I, I don't think I would ever knowingly lie to a person. And see, this idea was planted in me at a young age that this is incredibly important. And see, good ideas, good thoughts, good study, taking in the good stuff, feeds good character, feeds good stuff, good actions, and good ideas. It also shapes the way you, you, you think about God. So there's this word that appears in, in, this, in scriptures a lot called propitiation. And odds are, because most of us have that chaotic, everything's on fire brain, we read the word propitiation in scripture and we think, I don't care what that means, and we skip to the next verse so that we can find something that we do care about. But this word propitiation shows up all the time in Scripture, many times. And it says things like Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. God loved us and sent his son as a propitiation. Propitiation is actually a translation of this Greek word, hilasterion. hilasterion. And hilasterion is used in two different ways in Scripture. And it might, be, it might be translated propitiation or it might be translated expiation. And these words are radically different. And so when you read the scriptures, if you read propitiation and have any clue what it means, it's going to mean something completely different to you than if it's translated expiation. So here, here's, here's what they mean, okay? Expiation, I'm sorry, propitiation is basically the appeasement of someone large. And so if you, in, in, in scriptural terms, it's God is mad, his wrath is coming because you're bad, and a propitiation is someone who comes in and makes God happy again. Somebody comes in and pays a price, makes a sacrifice. So they say Jesus is the propitiation of our sin. In other words, God is mad at us because of our sin, and Jesus came in and said, hey, God, you don't have to be mad anymore. I got this, right? So it's, it's, it's one who turns the wrath of God away from something bad. Expiation is something totally different because expiation is the taking off of a burden from someone. And so if this word is translated expiation, what it means is that the work Jesus came in doesn't change God, it changes us. And expiation means that Jesus comes in and your sin is, is bad, the choices you've made are lousy, the, the consequences of your choices are, are tough or rough or absolutely sinister even. The, the, the brain that has all the stuff on fire, that's, that's not healthy. And expiation means he comes in and soothes everything. He comes in and fixes everything. That God's personality and God's attitude never changed, which is what scripture seems to indicate is that God doesn't change, but that we are affected and so if you read the scripture and read certain translations and you, you see this wrathful God, this mean God, it's going to affect you differently. You're going to live out your life and your worship of him. It's going to be, he's scary. I got I to somehow make him happy with me. But if the idea of expiation is in, in your mind, it's he's wonderful. I want to conform to that. And do you see, ideas shape direction. 
How you see God is absolutely huge. And so we want to be people who fill our mind with good ideas. The Bible teaches us Jesus' number one commandment included loving God with your mind. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. It also teaches us that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, that we're looking for truth. At daylight, we have a fourfold path that you can kind of see. We don't have any lights on it right now. Service, study, worship, and rest. And today we're talking about the study pillar. And the study pillar is about seeking truth. So we've got service, which is serving mankind, serving your neighbor, serving the church. Now, we've got, now we're to study. And study is trying to fill your brain with truth. And so when we look at expiation versus propitiation, this is an important truth. And we want to be people who don't skip over those words when we arrive at them in the Bible. But when we see something we don't understand, we say, wow, I want more knowledge. I'm looking for more. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. We can, we can talk about that all you want. If you, if you really want to talk about truth and what truth is, are there, is everything absolute or are there blacks and whites and all that kind of stuff, the uh, free-for-all Q&A on Thursday nights would be a great class to take. But our goal when we seek truth is to find knowledge. So when we talked about service last week, we talked about a person who serves ultimately finds purpose. A person who studies ultimately finds knowledge. A person who worships ultimately finds surrender. And a person who rests ultimately finds peace. And so our goal is to ultimately be knowledgeable Christians, is to know why we believe in what we believe, to be able to answer the difficult questions of faith, to be able to talk to anybody about anything at any time because we're knowledgeable and at Daylight Church, we've said this many times, no question is off the table. You can ask anything you want here, and we're not afraid of it. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers. Sometimes the answer is, I have no clue. But it means we're not afraid to ask questions. We're not afraid of apologetics. We're not afraid of questions of philosophy or faith and doubt and hell and all those other things that we talked about earlier. But here's what we don't want. You don't want your homework to be done by accident. You don't... You don't want to arrive at a headspace where your headspace has not been conformed purposefully. And I dare say that most people walk through life that way. Most people walk through life just taking in whatever they want to take in, taking in whatever feels right, taking in whatever is convenient, whatever their friends believe or whatever they're seeing on the television. Most people are not purposeful about what they fill their heads with. And you don't, you don't want to arrive at a headspace by accident. And, and here's the thing. We're also convinced we're right, and yet most of us, this is the process, and that doesn't make sense. Try, we have to avoid claim, truth claims that we haven't studied. We want to study as the basis and foundation for our headspace. Philippians tells us this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. I've heard it said that if there were a garbage chute in everybody's house that just dumped raw sewage every day, most people would do their best to put a plug into that hole. Most people would try to plug the raw sewage from coming in. But when it comes to our headspace, we have the exact opposite. We fill our heads with all kinds of terrible crap all the time, all kinds of junk. And I think, I think the Bible would demand of Christians that we're careful, that we're careful about what we take in. And this says if it's whatever is true, whatever is noble, admirable, praiseworthy, that those are the things that we're supposed to fill our head with, not the negativity, not the anger, not the backlashes and the fighting, 
but good stuff. We're supposed to be purposeful about feeding our heads good stuff. Romans tells us that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. It says that somehow doing the action of doing stuff that is like God, godly, somehow is rooted in how we think about stuff. It's somehow rooted with what we fill our heads with. And so, if nothing else, the goal today is that you will start to think about what you think about. You'll start to process the stuff that you're being fed all the time, and you'll be calculated, and that you'll take time to study, that you'll get an education, that you'll be purposeful about education, you'll be purposeful about continuing to be educated. A lot of us graduate college and never study again, and that's a shame. That's a terrible thing. Or graduate high school or whatever level of education you got, we, we say, what level of education do you have? And we have a cutoff line, don't we? We say, we say, well, I have a master's degree, which means I went all the way to my master's degree, and then I was kind of done. I think a person that says, what level of education do you have? Well, the, the, honest, the, the best answer would be, I study every day. And it doesn't necessarily mean cracking a book open. It's part of that. But it's, I study people. I study ideas. I study thoughts. I, I, I study the world. I study nature. I, I do open books. I do listen to podcasts. But I'm a person who is trying to fill my head with truth with the right stuff. And I want to say that an education is a journey with one destination. Nelson Mandela said this. He said, an education is a journey. Actually, that's my quote. He said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. So I, I have this tendency to, when I'm studying, I can easily be pulled in a thousand directions. And so I could be studying, I could find a particularly difficult Bible verse, for example. And I'll start reading and studying and looking at alternate Bible verses and thinking about different translations. And then somehow that will, that will lead me to the conversation of how are we supposed to interpret Scripture? Like was Scripture meant to be descriptive or prescriptive in this particular passage? Like, like am I, is this just describing what someone thought at that time? Or is it prescribing for all time what we ought to think now? And that's, that's a tough question, Right? And then, I, then when I start reading that, then I automatically go to LGBT issues because LGBT issues are something I think a ton about because I think the church has got it wrong in a lot of sense and right in a lot of sense, and I don't know where the boundaries are. I'm, I'm confused on the topic even though I've spent a decade reading and reading and studying and talking to people and, and, and having experiences with people and getting to know people. And then when you start to talk about that, then you, then you start asking the question, well, what does it mean to love? And how, how, and are we supposed to be the morality police as Christians anyway? And so what, you know, how, how does all that work? And so here's what I'm saying, is the search for truth is endless. There's one thing that we need to find. Anybody want to guess what that is? The one thing. What's the one thing in the kingdom of God? Bacon. Wow, I've done a terrible job in here. Bacon is the, tr is the truth. That's right. It was bacon. Thank you for that answer. It's love. It is. I, you know, every pastor is afraid that one of these days the whole congregation is going to get him and be tired of him. And my fear is that I, because I, I, almost every sermon, somehow this topic of love comes up. And I'm afraid one of these days you guys are going to all come in here and go, yeah, we get it. We're supposed to love each other. Tell us something else. There is nothing else. It's the only thing. So when we study cosmology, we study cosmology for love. Love for him. Love for others. Love for truth. Love for shared truth. When I study LGBT issues, I study for love. 
I, you might study LGBT issues because you want to prove yourself right. That's a different motive altogether. Finding, finding love in the middle of the study. When it comes to apologetics, if you study apologetics because you want to dominate someone intellectually, 1 Corinthians says you can, have, you can have, understand all mysteries of knowledge, and if you have not love, you have nothing. Jesus said love is the fulfillment of the law. There's a, there's a band called Dirt Poor Robins. It says an education is a journey with one destination. I keep reading that off my screen here. That's just the tagline up there. Just forget that's there. The lyrics to the song say this. This is the story of how we learn to love. Love never ends. True love never ends. When either words and music fade, this love is all we'll take away. Romans 13 says, owe no one anything. Listen to this. Don't owe anyone anything except the debt to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. You, you want to know how to, how to follow Jesus? Love. Love God. Love people. And so your brain may not be wired for quantum mechanics. Your brain may not be wired for organic chemistry or, in my case, for English and grammar. It, 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 just, it just may not be how you think. But everyone can study love. Everyone can study the idea of how do I make a difference in people's lives. Everybody can dedicate themselves to thinking properly about how to love God and how to love others. An education requires three things, many things, but three things that I was thinking about during this sermon. is sacrifice, diligence, and then vulnerability. And here's what I mean by these. In sacrifice, if you're going to be educated, if you're going to spend time figuring out what it means to love, if you're going to spend time figuring out what is God like? If you're going to spend time studying quantum mechanics, you're going to do it at the expense of something else. So it's never going to happen by accident. You're going to have to make a choice that I'm going to dedicate time to the study of this thing. If I'm going to shape my brain and change it from the chaotic mess that it is to something peaceful and soothing, it's going to require a choice to lay down other stuff. But what you're laying down is the chaotic mess. And so it requires sacrifice. It also requires diligence. This is not a one-shot gig. If you want to transform your mind and change the way you think, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a lifelong journey. You can't just hear a decent sermon one day and go, well, I'm going to study today and then think that your mind is going to be transformed. It's a step-by-step, long-term process. And then ultimately, it requires vulnerability. And this is where much of the church doesn't want to hear this. Dogma and fundamentalism is the enemy of knowledge. Hear me, you, you, you have to keep a mind that says, I might be wrong to study. Now, it doesn't mean you don't arrive at conclusions. It doesn't mean you don't arrive at a place where you feel confident about you have studied. But it means you're not afraid of anything, that cognitive dissonance is no longer your enemy. You're not afraid of people who think different than you, that look different than you, that challenge your ideas. What ha we have this little gland in our brain that fires off when people challenge our ideas, and adrenaline pumps up, kind of like if you were in a car wreck. When you're well-studied and when you're vulnerable, you don't have the, the amygdala doesn't fire like that. You can, you can actually change the way your amygdala fires, and a lot of that has to do with vulnerability. It means you approach looking for truth for truth's sake, not for what you want it to be. It's a hard, and, and it may be the hardest thing in life to do that. But diligence, sacrifice, and vulnerability are a huge part 
of soothing that brain and making the brain conform to the kingdom of God. So here's a few tips. One is don't be a pod person. Now, you guys heard about the, the Tide Pod craze that happened about a year ago, probably, where fools were eating Tide Pods. And there were videos online daring people to eat these Tide Pods. And if you haven't heard, it's just a bad idea. It's just, it's just, it's just not a good idea, right? And we look at people and think, How, what is wrong with you? Like, didn't your mama teach you anything, right, is kind of how we think about this. But the truth is, a lot of us have these pod person brains that we just let the coffee spill and we let, our, let them accidentally form and we let them be influenced by other people and shaped and changed by forces and powers and ideas that have no business shaping and changing and forming our lives. So don't be a pod person. So it starts with this hunger for what is right. It starts for a, with a hunger for what is true and a willingness to pay the price to arrive at what is true. Proverbs says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. I want to encourage you to hit the books alone. So you need to be a person who, is, who would be found studying when no one else would know you're studying. I mean, you can stu- like, you guys have all seen the open book with the coffee at the coffee shop on Instagram, right? Where we're all like, hey, look how educated I'm becoming. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're a person actually searching for truth, not searching for the idea that you're searching for truth. It's a person who legitimately, diligently opens the books, listens to the podcast, observes people. There's a passage in Acts where, where they're talking about a particular sect of the Jews. It says the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. That's a pretty gutsy statement. I mean, if you're, if you're writing this to churches across Eurasia, the Thessalonians are not going to be very happy about this passage. He says the Bereans have got it all on the Thessalonians. He says because they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul said, if what Paul said was true. So these are people that hear the message and then go home and think about it and process and open the book and, and, and look at it. So, some, some of you are probably not used to this, but if you come to me and say, I didn't like your sermon last week because this, this, and this, and I've studied this, and this seemed off to me, I'm going to do my best not, I mean, it's going to, it's going to hurt a little. I'm not going to lie to you. But I'm going to be excited that you're thinking. I'm going to be excited that you're processing it for yourself. And not, I don't want, I don't want us to be a church where I just spew something and you guys take it in. I want to be a church where I say, hey, go study, and you guys do it. That's the kind of church we want to be, is where people do it themselves. And that's a person of noble character, it says. They come with great eagerness and examine the questions. So I, so I would encourage you, study at home. Study diligently. But then you also want to study together. And this is where I get to pitch our small groups. Ken Blanchard said, none of us are as smart as all of us. Studying never occurs in a vacuum. Even though you might be at your... One of my favorite things in the world to do is, is during the winter, get a hot, hot cup of tea or a hot cup of something and sit in front of a fireplace and read. I would, I would encourage you just to, just to learn to enjoy study. But even if I'm sitting reading in front of a fireplace, somebody has helped me create that environment. Somebody built that fireplace. Somebody picked the tea leaves that eventually became my tea. And somebody wrote that book. And that pers- the author of the book didn't write the book in the vacuum. The author of the book was, inf- in- in- was influenced by thousands of people over time. And there's no, there's no end to the number of people that are in the room with me when I'm by myself reading a book. You cannot become educated and knowledgeable by yourself. You can pursue it by yourself, but it will never happen alone. 
It happens within community, and it always has, and it always will. And so we, we have streamlined our process. We no longer ask people to be involved in this, 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 and this, and 18 things a week. I was talking to somebody this week whose church met on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday, after, Wednesday evenings and had Tuesday night prayer and Saturday night projects, and, and, and we're, we're streamlined here. We have worship services on Sunday mornings and once a quarter nightlight services. We have small groups, and we have quarterly service projects, and that's what we do. That's who we are at this point. And so I'm asking you as a pastor... If you want to be involved in Daylight Church and you want to follow the, the Daylight Path that we're setting out, it's to do service projects and it's, involved to be, it's to be involved in study groups. Service, study, worship, rest. Service projects, study groups. And so I want to encourage you. You need to fill your mind with good stuff and be surrounded by good people. And that's something that happens on purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. It, or, or, or it rarely happens by accident. And probably if it happens by accident, you're not going to take in what you would have taken in if you had been purposeful about it. So I want to encourage you, go to mydaylightchurch.com and get involved in these groups. These aren't just something we do because we think it's a good idea and because churches are supposed to have small groups. We want to be purposeful about filling people's heads with the knowledge that God wants them to have. I'll close with this. Henry Drummond said this. He said, is life not full of opportunities for learning love? Every man and woman every day has a thousand of them. The world is not a playground. It is a schoolroom. Life is not a holiday but an education, and the one eternal lesson for us all is how better we can love. I would, I, would, I would think that our small groups will be good at this. I feel like we have a fairly loving community here. Not perfect, never will be, but fairly, a, a pretty good community as far as love here. And I would encourage you that if you want to shape the way your brain thinks, you want to shape your, your brain to not be the chaotic mess that it may be, one of the ways to do that would be to get involved in our groups. But mostly, I would encourage you not to be a pod person. Mostly, I would encourage you to say, education is important to me. Finding answers is important to me. Filling my head with the right stuff and not the wrong stuff is important to me. That could be one of the most important revelations of your entire life, is that you have control of what goes in here. You can't control all the emotions. You can't control every thought and every feeling that you have related to But you can control what you feed yourself. And I would encourage you to feed yourself the good stuff.